The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners, welcome to the 143rd ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www.iirsports.com. As always, I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week. Also, later in the show, we will be joined by our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. <clears throat> well, my highlight of the week was Johnny Manziel's Pro Day, complete with former President George H. Bush in attendance uh, and music by Drake blaring throughout the Texas A&M facility, and it was just like a, uh, a Hollywood production for a rock star, which is exactly what Johnny Manziel is. I loved the fact that he had some original thinking and wore pads, uh, shoulder pads when he threw, threw about 65 passes and uh, completed like 63 of them. And rumors are that the other two were dropped. So I loved his line about... uh, you know, nobody ever goes out on an NFL field on Sunday with, uh, you know, wearing shorts and a T-shirt like we all see at the Combines and the Pro Days. So Johnny Manziel, I think yesterday he enhanced his, you know, reputation immeasurably. Uh, he's just a fascinating character. There's no other way to say it. He has charisma. He is sort of must-see TV, both his games and even now, his interviews, uh, I liked his interviews, uh, you know, with the ESPN crew uh, after his workout. And, you know, he's brimming with confidence. And, uh, you know, that's what you have to be if you're him in my book. And I would think that someone like the Jacksonville Jaguars, if he's still available, would just be all over him. I mean, just seems to be the perfect choice for that franchise, which uh, has empty seats. Need we say more? They have to cover up pieces of the stadium to, uh, you know, to not show the empty seats. And 
you know, we've kind of been down this road before with the Jaguars where it seemed like, you know, Tim Tebow, local boy, grew up near San Augustine, would have been just the perfect choice to fill seats in that stadium and make their Jaguars more relevant. So if they didn't go for Tebow, clearly the team philosophy is not to go after uh, a player just to fill seats, uh, but you know, but a player with talent. I believe, as all my listeners know, Tebow's a winner. I believe Manziel's a winner, and I believe he is just going to, you know, burst on the NFL scene. I'm not saying he's going to be dominant as a rookie, but his every move will be watched as it has been for the past two years. And uh, he is just a fascinating character, a fascinating player, and I'm sure Bill O'Brien, new coach of the Houston Texans, who hold the first pick, uh are probably getting some ser- even more pressure after yesterday to, to choose the homeboy. Him, uh, Manziel, of course, being a Texas native. And uh, Bill O'Brien, of course, was the quarterback's coach right up here with the Patriots uh, at, and worked with Tom Brady. So he knows how to handle quarterbacks. And as I've said previously, what he did with Matt McGloin, uh in Matt McGloin's senior year at Penn State, turning him into a credible quarterback, and now he's with the Oakland Raiders, was simply nothing short of remarkable. Matt McGloin was a walk-on from Scranton, Pennsylvania. And uh, so Bill O'Brien, I think he probably has a few more things to think about. Uh, Obviously, I think it's between Manziel and Jadavian Clowney as to who the Texans will pick. But I love the whole pro day scene for Johnny Manziel. I just thought it was great. And again, loved that he wore shoulder pads and a jersey just like he will on Sunday. Uh, So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, needless to say. Well, my bizarre story of the week was the uh, Patriots re-signing Vince Wilfork. And I say bizarre only in that it was odd how it went from contentious just a couple of weeks ago in such a quick time, contentious, Will Fork saying he would not, asking for his release from the team when they asked him to restructure. And then reports within the past week or so that he had cleaned out his locker. Uh, That just seemed to spell the end. Uh, I think up here in New England, myself included, to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And before we start talking with our guest, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine, our weekly call-in expert, I just want to finish up my first segment for uh, the, the low light of the week, which was the clock issues in the NCAA tournament so far. There's been a couple of them. And the one with North Carolina was, of course, just unbelievable. I was watching live when that happened, uh, where the clock just literally did not start for a couple seconds. It happened for a couple other times. And my comment is very simple. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is not starting and stopping the clock the only job that the timekeeper has? And if so, and I'm quite sure it is so, how can they not 
how can they be making these mistakes of literally not starting the clock at a timeout or at the end of a game or whatever for three, four, or five seconds, which is an eternity? So I'll get off that soapbox. And AP, I, 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 I've got to get your thoughts on all these, you know, the, the clock issues in the NCAA tournament. It's just it's something I've never understood because you and I have covered enough games. We've been at press row on the, you know, at the press table, whatnot, courtside, and how someone cannot start a clock with, you know, five seconds to go in an NCAA, you know, tournament game is is be just beyond me. Uh, yeah, John. I think if you you live long enough, you you'll see anything, and that was one of those situations where you couldn't believe what had happened with all this technology and uh, you know at their disposal. So. You know, once again, it's a surprise. I mean, you, you've seen it through the years. You know, I can remember remember 20 years ago or something, there was a 10-second issue with the Michigan State game. I think it was against Georgetown way back. And you think, well, that'll never happen again. And Exactly. Well said. You know, you, but, but here it is, 2014 NCAA tournament. You have some management of problems at the, at the desk there with the gentleman with his hand on the, you know, his finger on the, on the button. Yeah, and, you know. You and I have sat right there. I mean, I've sat beside timekeepers in my career at basketball games, at you know, big games, and I'm guessing maybe you have too. And it's not like it's confined to basketball. And of course, it you know rears its ugly head at the most important time. But uh, you know, we see it all the time. I mean, we see it in NFL games, which again, uh, you, you know, maybe I need to do a little you know, journalist journalism investigation as to like, do these guys have other jobs? Because it's always been seemed to me like they're just sitting there with their finger on the clock and they just start it and stop it and they have no other reason, no other purpose or nothing else distracting them from that one very important function. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's really disappointing when you, you have all this, all, everybody invests so much of, you know, effort to, to reach this point and the teams are, you know, fiercely competing on the court and the coaches are planning and strategizing and then you have this something this you, you you're ready to you know as a coach you must be ready to explode when it gets to that moment and there's an issue with the clock and the management and and, and your your team is the one that is affected right and that leads perfectly into my next thought which is simply you know as i'm watching this live in disbelief uh roy williams the coach of the north carolina tar heels i mean he can be an emotional guy, and I'm watching this and thinking, what is he going to do? How is he going to react to this? Because right before the game was declared over, the announcer was saying, I think the game's about to be over, and I'm watching the refs give him the explanation. So i got to give him a lot of credit. He handled it beautifully on the spot in front of the nation, literally, and he handled it even better mm-hmm. in the post-game press conference where he basically said, you know, it's on us. It's not on the clock. And... He's right, but you never, you know, there's a lot at stake there, and uh, he handled it very well. Yeah, I've seen a national championship women's game, John, lost, um, if you recall, this is 20 years ago in Richmond, Virginia, Louisiana Tech, when Leon Barmore was the coach, and a couple of assistants were, went on to become famous coaches as well, Kim Mulkey and Nell Fortner, Nell's the Olympic coach, and Kim Mulkey, of course, big-time coach of Baylor, they were competing yes. against North Carolina. North Carolina had the ball un, uh, out of bounds, and it was like, I think, point 
eight seconds remaining. They threw a diagonal pass to, uh, I forgot the top shooter for Carolina. It took a little while, and they didn't really start the clock on time, and she drained that three-pointer to win it at the buzzer. And Leon Barmore, he just was frozen there, you know, standing up, and he could have done a couple of things. He could have really ranted and raved, you know, you know, raved at the officials, but he just, you know, mustered up enough class and character to go across the, uh, you know, court and shake Sylvia Hatchell's hand for winning the national championship. So maybe he thought the same thing as Roy Williams. I mean, all these people, our fans are looking at me, our players. What am I going to do? And he just that that was his um, way to. Uh, you know, end the game. You know, I'm sure he could have made an issue out of it, but he didn't. Yeah, well, one thing I'm sure that they recognize because they wouldn't be where they're at unless they're very smart people, and it was very evident on display as that was unfolding. Was you know, the decision was final. Nothing in the world Roy Williams could have said or done would have ever changed it, and maybe right, he just right. simply recognized that. And the same with the situation you just described in the women's game. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it was it was the same situation, John. So they're very bright people, and they they've been in tight games, and and they understand, you know, the endings, and these things do happen because it's run by humans. They're, they're, yeah, it's human error. Yeah, I mean, there's points in all of our lives we've all been there where you know there are moments where you know when a decision is final, and that nothing you can say or do is going to change it, and. Clearly, you know, Roy Williams knew that because the refs, you know, to their credit, had, you know, discussed it. I mean, this went on for, for a bit, for a couple of minutes, which is, again, is a lifetime. And I found it interesting to learn about, you know, the whole stopwatch thing and all that, how they take a stopwatch and, like, watch the monitor. Uh, you, you know, so it was a, rather educational, actually. I didn't know they did that with the stopwatch. Yeah, no, I, I didn't either, John. It was news to me. Yes, yes. Well, speaking of news, a uh, subject you and I have discussed often, often, uh, Johnny Manziel. He, of course, had his pro day, and, you know, I started off the show talking about it from George H. Bush, the father, showing up, former president, to Drake playing, and, you know, Johnny Manziel wearing pads, which I loved, original thinking, you know, on his part, the, you know, in his line about, you know, no quarterback ever showed up on Sunday wearing shorts and a t-shirt, uh, which, which he's absolutely right about. And I just thought the whole thing was so perfect for Johnny Manziel and needless to say on the heels of the Teddy Bridgewater, less than spectacular pro day that for Johnny Manziel with his detractors and questions about him, size, what have you, to just put on this production. And it was a production. That is the word. It wasn't just a pro day. It was a production. Uh, I thought it was just terrific. I, I really, I mean, I, lo- I love the whole thing. I, I, I find the guy, and I think you do too, I, we both find him pretty fascinating. Yeah, he got some good advice, I thought, uh, with his yes. pro day. And he showed some signs of growth, I believe. I mean, if that was their intention, that they have to put the check mark next to that because, you know, all this publicity that he's received in the past was about his immaturity. So 
she came through big time on on that score, I believe. Yeah, and I came to the conclusion after watching, you know, the pro day, and you know, never thought I'd say that, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, his interview immediately following the workout inside uh, the facility with the ESPN crew, and then even the John Gruden. Uh, quarterback camp, which I love, by the way. Um, Johnny Manziel's biggest asset, as it has been, as it has been for many, many athletes over the years. He has a chip on his shoulder. Maybe it's rooted in size. I'm guessing it is. Yeah, I know he wasn't recruited that heavily out of high school. On and on and on. You know, just the classic story we become so used to. And for whatever reason, that shone through yesterday. Maybe I almost felt that some of the stuff was. Him overcompensating a bit or whatever, uh, not that he needs to do anything to get noticed, but that the, for the first time, and it's not like the, I haven't had the thought before, but yeah, you know, the pro day just really, you know, drove home for me that, you know, he's operating with, you know, a chip on his shoulder, no different than a million other guys we've seen from, you know, Russell Williams, Russell Wilson, excuse me, to Doug Flutie and on and on and on. Yeah, be- yeah. Because of his size, I think he's always yeah. <clears throat> had that chip on his shoulder, and I, I think that's a good thing for a quarterback. Absolutely, I, Tom Brady. I, I like to see a guy who who wants to compete and wants to be the best, or thinks he's the best, and you know, probably more than likely he's not. But but you want him to have that attitude and 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 exude that confidence when he's in that huddle, and you know that competitive spirit. Those are the things that I'm looking for when you, you want to separate uh, your evaluation from one quarterback to the next. You know, how does he compete when it's a tough situation? You know, how does he lead his team? What is his personality when something goes doesn't go well from him? You know, those are the kind of things I want to look for. And then, of course, you, you want to see him have very good plays, too, because, I mean, it's not all about – uh, playing, uh, you know, you know, judging him on the adverse plays, but also you want to see him have a lot of good plays, a lot of positive plays, make a lot of smart plays, and have, uh, you know, not be turnover prone. Absolutely, yes, uh, yeah, and you know, he he just he does it on the field. You and I have talked about him being, you know, must see TV when he's playing a game. I was very impressed with some of the throws. He showed me what, to me, maybe this is not what an NFL scout or GM looks for, but for me, you know, a right-handed quarterback running to his left and throwing deep is all I need to see. And Johnny Manziel yesterday did one that, I mean, he, he, had, he threw it 50-60 in the air on, on the nose. And I was just like, wow. Not that I needed to see it. I, I know he has a strong arm, but I thought that was the throw of the day. And when I see that, I have no more questions about arm strength after after that. Yeah, you know, John, in this day and age, I don't believe the arm strength is um, w- one of the top skills that a quarterback, you know, must show because the way these offenses are predicated, it's on you know accuracy in the short passing game and getting it to your playmakers. And you know, I don't, you know, you have to be able to be a threat down the field, but it's not uh, mandatory that you have a rocket. Um, you know, because every throw is not 50 yards down the field. Yeah, I mean, if somebody asked me what's the most important attribute of a quarterback, I would just simply say, you know, 
leadership and the belief in your teammates that you will lead the way. If that's it, you know, and that's my number one attribute that I'm looking for, Johnny Manziel has that, I believe. I have no reason to believe otherwise. Yeah, players seem to follow his lead. And yep. You mean, how many guys have you seen through the years, John? Six foot five, six six, six seven. They could throw it from one end zone to the other. But, but they didn't have the skills required to be an effective NFL quarterback. So, arm, you know, you have to have a, a minimum arm strength to play in that lead because the windows are so tight when you're making those throws. They, they close very fast. But I, I just don't see it as the, uh, you know, the top prerequisite when I'm selecting a quarterback. Exactly. And, you know, to me... The three greatest quarterbacks of all time have, you know, that attribute. And I'm speaking of, you know, in my mind, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. And, you know, they all are truly field generals in the, in the true sense of the word. Uh, and I believe that leadership and having the belief of their teammates that they, they would lead the way to victory it was their number one attribute. And then, you know, just to close out, you know, on the chip on the shoulder comment, I mean, no one ever has had a bigger chip on his shoulder than Tom Brady, and it burns as brightly today <laughs> yeah. as it did in 1999 when he was the 199th pick. I mean, uh, he today <laughs> yeah. still references stuff like that, and I think it's gotten lost in his great career that that is really a foundational a foundation for why he's become who he, he has become, which is, you know, the chip caused him to outwork everybody. Yeah, and he's done very well. He's got quite a few Super Bowl rings, and and all sure the has. so-called talent evaluators they didn't realize it. You know, when he was taking 199, so uh, it can be done. You know, being selected in the lower rounds and be a very, very, very successful quarterback in the NFL. Right, and keep in mind, uh, Brady six five. There were, size was never an issue with him, but you know what he went through at Michigan with Drew Henson was an issue. And that contributed yeah. to the chip. Oh yeah, well, he, yeah. He, he was the glamour quarterback coming in, Drew Henson, and uh, where is he now? That says it all right there. Absolutely. Well, with that said, AP, hard to believe it's already time for our break, and I know you're sticking around, so we'll have to cover the seismic decision potentially. Uh, by the National Labor Relations Board and the Northwestern football team. We'll do that on the other side after the break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And still on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Studham of Bama Magazine. And A.P., uh, I mentioned it right before the break, a, a potentially seismic decision this week where the National Labor Relations Board in Chicago, that division, so to speak, ruled that the Northwestern football players could indeed uh, are indeed employees and could form their own union uh, my first thought here for years, we've been hearing about, you know, the Ed O'Bannon case as being the game changer. And then lo and behold, like an end run, this thing just shows up, you know, it's been percolating for a few months as we know. And here comes this local board of a national governing body, so to speak, makes this decision and the ramifications could be gigantic that, you know, would make everyone forget about the Ed O'Bannon case, which has seemingly been going on for decades. Yeah, John, this is the volcano that finally erupted. I, I never Bingo. thought I would see this moment, but here it is today, uh, Northwestern of all schools, right, uh, to have this ruling in their favor, the, the players at least. And what will happen down the road? Is this an extreme measure, or will this actually push the NCAA to finally approve legislation to have that stipend of, you know, $2,000, whatever it may be, to, uh, you know, placate, you know, this decision, you know, because I don't even, John, it's so complicated, I can't wrap my head around having a union for college football players and what might be, um, you know, the ramifications, as you said, I, I just can't uh, understand what how the game would, would be played and, and you know, I just don't understand everything. Right. Well, I grew up in western Pennsylvania, and I also worked in the coal mine region of West Virginia uh, as a newspaper editor with a UMW strike. So I know unions. <laughs> I grew up around it my entire life. And it is just, uh, you know... And unbelievable to try to relate what I know into the sports yeah. world, especially 
college students, i.e., amateur athlete, athletes, and it's it, it, again, you said it perfectly. It's you know, I can't even put my arms around it. I mean, the first thought that comes to mind is you know, disability, i.e., football injuries. Oh my goodness, it, yeah, workers' comp or disability, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, those are the two that jump right out at you, John. Yeah, whatever, yeah. They do. They do. I mean, you know, in especially when you step back and, and think that up to now, you know, how many college football players have been injured and can never perform again, and they get absolutely nothing for it. I mean, that's it. They just It's not like the NFL where maybe you had a contract, maybe you had two or three contracts, and you have some money, but there are countless college football players and athletes who have had career-ending injuries that, you know, obviously we just never hear about and, you know, and, and they never got a penny for it in any way, shape, or form to any of our knowledge. So, No, no yeah, yeah, John, the only people that I know of who would receive any monies would be if you're, I think it's uh, the insurance that you uh, can obtain through the NCAA right. uh, if you're, you're uh, deemed a first or second or third round draft choice, you can sign up, you know, have a policy. You don't have to have a co-signer. Uh, and if you're injured and you can never play again, you would, you know, recoup those funds from the, from the policy. The benef- you'd be the beneficiary. But right. everyone else, like you said, it's, you're not playing, you're injured, there's no, money's, no money exchange for, for your time and service. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a Pandora's box. I mean, you and I are in the field. I can't tell you, and I'm sure you agree with me, how many athletes I've encountered throughout my career who talked about, you know, well, I played in college and got injured, and that was the end of that. I mean, countless. I mean, just a gigantic percentage of athletes, former athletes that I've encountered have said that, you know, know, so how this is all going to unfold, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there just are so many other issues. You know, it's interesting, you know, Northwestern, a fine academic institution, smart people, and, you know, for some reason, the minute I heard this, you know, it, it stuck with me. Like, the minute I heard the few months back the Northwestern football players were trying to form a union or whatever, I kind of thought, you know, this might not go away because these, prob- these are probably a pretty smart group of people who thought it out before they headed down this path. Yeah, John, and there's a name that some people are probably going to hear <clears throat> more often now. And it's Ramoga Huma. You know, he's the president of the College Athletes Player Association. He was a, a former linebacker at UCLA, and he's pushed through a lot of initiatives uh, through the NSA to get insurance and medical uh, help for these these former players. And it's all because of him and his association. But now this is his his uh, his finest hour. You know, probably from his standpoint, to be behind this effort to to uh, you know receive permission to form a union. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, the NCAA, to put it nicely, has a lot of critics, a lot of people questioning, you know, their future, a lot of people thinking that, uh, you know, the big five conferences or whatever it is will, you know, break away, as it were, secede and, you know, form their own NCAA, so to speak. And, you know, all these questions come into play, but, you know, we'll see. I, Again, without being a lawyer, it seems to me that 
the bigger question, you know, how does it move forward on the local level, i.e. NLRB in Chicago and Northwestern itself and number one and number two, and I'm no lawyer, but will the National Labor Relations Board the, for the entire United States, you know, are they going to make a ruling? And if they make a ruling, you, you know, you can't fight City Hall, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, and, and they're the government. Um, so, you know, if they make a national ruling, I've got to think, you know, and it's sort of back to what you said earlier, that I think at that point, rather than fight it, I think the NCAA would do exactly what you alluded to, which is, you know, put in a stipend, whatever, make a major change to placate the board. Yeah, John, because the way the legislation must be passed is about 125 or so Division One football schools, and then there's, I think, 300 and something that are not, and they're, they always outvote the football schools uh, when that legislation is before the membership to pay the stipend. So, you know, a couple of years ago or a year or two ago when they were had that $2,000 stipend, I thought, well, that's kind of reasonable. That'll, that'll pass, but they, they knocked that down immediately, you know, the other schools, because they couldn't afford that much money. But now uh, I think this legislation is going to get pushed through to come up with some type of compromise because they don't want to face down any union. That's exactly right. You know, I think it just falls under the same category of, you know, the NFL and, you know, the, the, the arrangements that go back, the laws that go back, you know, on Monopoly and whatnot, decades to the 1950s and 60s with Congress. You know, I think baseball and steroids, you know, where Congress was uh, looking into it. There's no bigger nightmare oh, my goodness. for any sports organization, any sport, than to have the government looking at them. Yeah, you know, John, you, you've observed all these things through the years. When there was a problem with the bowl system and BYU and Utah were not eligible to be in the, you know, the oh, yeah. major bowls. Right. You know, those senators from Utah and other states, they got together and they made enough noise. There was a committee and there was hearings. Well, brother, they, they sure changed their tune, you know, the bowl association and, and incorporated those other schools so they'd be eligible to participate. There's nothing moves people faster than when they're getting that call from uh, Washington, D.C. Bingo. Well said, AP. Very well said. Well, it's just going to be fascinating. And then, again, you know, meanwhile, you know, the Ed O'Bannon case, you know, I, I we've all known about it for so long, but I don't think, you, you know, I see something like this happen so quickly, and I finally say, hey, why is that Ed O'Bannon case taking so long? And, you know, I wonder if sort of, you know, as an unintended result of this Northwestern thing, that somehow, you know, that's going to push the Ed O'Bannon case forward. I, I have to assume that there's so many players involved in that. I don't mean players like players. I mean just parties involved, you know, and I think they're big ones like EA Sports and stuff as well that has just gotten completely, you know, dominated by the lawyers who are just dragging it out. I, don't, I have no other, I, I have no idea, but that seems like that has to have been the case. Yeah, um, I mean, that's another situation where the NCAA, they, they've got to get their head out of the sand now, and, and the, you know, the, that, that sports marketing company also, you just, I just can't see something uh, positive 
is going to come to Ed O'Banion and that group that's contending that they should be paid something. I, I just believe that that's going to happen. Right, right. You know, again, it's just been sitting out there for so long, and you can't hear about Northwestern and like an actual decision being made without then quickly making the connection to like what was always perceived as the game changer case in all of this, which was the Ed O'Bannon case. Ed O'Bannon, of course, being a player for UCLA back in the day, in the 90s, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he filed a lawsuit about his image being used, and it just seems like it's been around now for more than a decade. I think I'm pretty accurate about that. Yeah, and the momentum, as you say, just pushing forward, especially with this you know, Labor Relations Board making this ruling. Correct. Exactly. All right, AP, well, we shall see, but, you know, it just, if it's not one thing, it's another as far as, you know, the NCAA and how student-athletes should ultimately be treated, and it just feels like we're reaching a tipping point where something is going to happen. It's inevitable. It is inevitable, and, and I think uh, that w- the time is sooner rather than later. And with that said, we'll take our final break, and AP, I know you're sticking around the other side, and lots more to talk about after the break. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You may not know all their names, but you certainly know what they did. They helped make this game into what it is today. Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit nflalumni.org. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. And I am your host, John Inglesby, and back on the line with us is A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And uh, my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing is, yeah, again, no surprise, the NCAA basketball tournament, of course, March Madness. And one of my favorite stories as a native of western Pennsylvania that's been uh, emerging through the tournament is 
you know, the Miller brothers, Sean, the coach of Arizona, Archie, the coach of Dayton, uh, both in the Elite Eight. Archie got an extension. Uh, they are both the sons of a legendary high school coach from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, uh, home of Joe Namath, of course. And Sean was so good as a young boy. He actually, you know, the way Tiger Woods was on Mike Douglas when he was like five or six, seven years old. Sean Miller was also on a show like that, like a national talk show, for lack of a better word, back in the day where, you know, he was doing all these ball handling and dribbling skills to amaze the viewers. And, uh, you know, here they are. And uh, I just think it's a great story because they are, again, uh, pretty legendary uh, in western Pennsylvania. Sean was a, uh, a guard at Pitt. So a good player, very good player. And then the Arizona star, oh, not the star, because Aaron Gordon's the star, their point guard is from Pittsburgh, uh, who was playing at Duquesne, T.J. McConnell, and then ended up, uh, you know, following his, his fellow Pittsburgher uh, out to Arizona, where he has become, he's not the star, but he is the, the heart and soul of that team. <laughs> and uh, just a good story. You know, Arizona is one of those teams that, you know, when you're here on the East Coast, you know, you don't know a lot about, but they've, you know, have a good history. Lute Olson, national championship. Bill Walton's son uh, played for them, of course. And so, AP, you know, always good storylines, but that's my particular favorite. I don't know if, if what's been catching your eye throughout the tournament. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's one of the better stories of the tournament when you have a, a family, you know, they're coaching brothers and they're doing well, especially when one is in the underdog position. As an 11 seed, and his brothers, you know, number one out in the West, and uh, I believe they actually match up if they can win the next next game. I think it, John, if you're looking at the bracket. So yes, and, you know, Dayton would have to upset, you know, another big upset. They, you know, you're beating Ohio State the first game, and then defeating Syracuse and Stanford last night. Those are big, big name basketball schools, and now you're going to play Florida, the number one overall seed. So. You know, Cinderella's still alive. I don't know if, you know, they can, they can win again, but it would be fabulous if those two brothers matched up in the, uh, in the semifinals. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I, you know, I was unaware that we were headed there so quickly, and um, I would have to think, just my first thought when you say that, is that I would think that would favor Dayton, who would obviously be a heavy underdog. But yet, you know, to me... If, you know, brother against brother evens out the talent. That's just sort of my first thought if they end up meeting, but we shall see. That would be great. I mean, it's great publicity for like basketball in Pittsburgh, which gets so lost in the football culture and the football history and the cradle of quarterbacks and all that. But, you know, there's been a lot to like in, in, Pennsylvania and Western Pennsylvania basketball through the years, and a lot of terrific uh, household names have come out of there. But oh, oh, oh yeah, and you know that was the original home of the Dapper Dan Classic and Sonny yep. Vaccaro. Oh, yeah. and- Very good, Dapper Dan. I grew up with the Dapper Dan, which was the original, and I believe at for a long time the only 
high school all-star game, played at the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. It was a happening, a real happening, to say the oh, least. I mean, oh, yeah. John, it was the, the state of Pennsylvania versus the USA, I guess, was it, was it not? Correct. Yes. And Pennsylvania usually did pretty well. I mean, my fondest memory is, you, you know, uh, of course, Will Chamberlain went to Overbrook in Philadelphia, but uh, my small school, uh, I got... I got to see Maurice Lucas. Oh he played goodness. for Shenley High in a in our in our high school gym with four hundred people, and it was a packed house. Four hundred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah he, was ter- he was terrific. I, I loved. He was like, look at the dictionary of power forward, and there's his picture with that scowl. Yes, and they were the undefeated state champion of Pennsylvania. You know, big deal. Pittsburgh City School coming in to play. Uh, you know, my small Catholic high school in Altoona, and. Uh, it was a, a real happening, and the and the interesting thing that I always remember there is uh, he was not the best player on that team. I mean, he may have been the best player, but he was not the star. The star was a kid named Ricky Coleman, who was a guard who just lit it up. He was the best player, the m- biggest name in Pennsylvania basketball, and he went on to play with the famous, he was a guard on the famous Jacksonville teams with Artis Gilmore and Pembroke Burroughs third. <laughs> Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe I recall that name now. Oh, yeah, he was good. I didn't he did not do that. what Maurice Lucas did, but he was good. But Maurice Lucas clearly was yeah. the guy that had the career. Yeah, I remember that Jacksonville team. I, I certainly remember that. It was a you know, novelty at the time, two seven-footers. Exactly. They were the original Twin Towers. Yeah, <clears throat> very good. A- absolutely. Uh, well, you know, again... Uh, you know, it never fails to produce. I said on the air last week when uh, that I thought that the first day, the day Dayton, where the tournament started, the first game of the tournament was Dayton beating Ohio State, their neighbor, uh, that I thought it was the greatest day in the history of the NCAA tournament, the first day of the tournament this year. And the first game being Dayton beating Ohio State in a shocker. And I was pleased to see over the weekend that Dick Vitale said the exact same thing. So that, you know, that, that, that really verified exactly what I was thinking. Which, and I was not alone. I mean, I, I think it was fairly obvious that it was an incredible day. Yeah, and then, John, you had Mercer and Duke. I mean, that, that was incredible. Correct. Yeah, I mean, two sort of, uh, you know, matinees, if you will, like to get the whole thing started, which was, you know, the opening day noontime Eastern game was, you know, Dayton beating Ohio State and then the noontime uh, Friday game and, you know, the round of 64, if you will, was, uh, was of course, Mercer beating Duke. It's, It's still stunning when you think about it. I mean... Um, that was just incredible. And then I, I found the, uh, the side story of Roddy White from the Atlanta Falcons offering, uh, front row 50 yard line tickets to the Falcons <laughs> season tickets, perhaps to anybody. And somebody like took the bet and he, the person who took the bet risked nothing, but you know, uh, Roddy White, you know, was on Twitter talking about it, and he, <laughs> but that was a fascinating little sidelight to highlight uh, the vagaries of Twitter, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. Is he going to live up to that, John? Is he going to? I don't know. Haven't heard. You know. Yeah. 
he, he, sh- he put something out there. He, he's, he's got he's got the few coins in his pocket to live up to it. Yeah, I mean, my first thought is at minimum, he has to you know get this person to a Falcon game in a front row. He just does at least one game. I don't know. I think season tickets may have been what was bet, right? But, you know, is it a bet? The question is, is it a bet if the other party doesn't risk anything, doesn't bet anything? And right. I don't think <clears throat> that other person did, the fan. But, you know, no matter what, in my mind, minimum, Roddy White has to get this person to a game, at least one I, I, game. I bet he could recoup that money somehow, some way, in some type of commercial. He'd get a lot of favorable publicity. Then if I was advising him, I'd say, you know, cough up the dollars and... Uh, you know, write the check that your your you know your mouth want want us to be cashed, right? That's exactly right. Yes, that if, if if it was me, that's what I would do. You know, and without knowing if the guy's insisting on season tickets or whatever it is, but you know, the minimum standard to be met in my mind would be you know get him to a game, maybe, in, and in fact, probably the season opener, and just you know get this done, and and everybody moves on, but. It feels like Roddy White's word, like you said, credibility. You know, they're kind of at stake. So you you, you gotta you gotta make it right. Yeah, that that's in his best interest. I think you're gonna look foolish if you don't, because it'll be remembered in a negative way if you, if you uh, don't pony up. Exactly, exactly right. Well, uh, again, you know the the tournament. Never fails to deliver, and it certainly is delivering yet again this year. It's truly nothing like it, especially the Thursday and Friday when you have, you know, 16 games each day. I mean, it's just as good as it gets. It was just so much fun. And the fun will fun continues. So, uh, AP, I just want to thank you, as always, for your great perspective, and, uh, and appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you very much. It's always my pleasure. Look forward to the next time. All right, AP. Thanks again. And Voice America listeners, thank you all for listening to All Around Sports. And we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.